Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti and we thank you for joining us on this lovely Monday morning. That's right, it's Christmas Eve for those who celebrate Christmas. And we're delighted that taking a break from the celebrations in the studio with us, it's Gary Jacob. Morning, Gabs. And down the line from somewhere in between London and the Midlands, if I'm not mistaken, it's Henry Winter. Hi, Merry Christmas. Later on, we'll be discussing the race for the top four and Solskjaer bringing the sunshine back to Old Trafford. But we start with a shock for Manchester City as the champions suffered a 3-2 defeat to Crystal Palace at the Etihad on Saturday. With the leaders Liverpool maintaining their unbeaten record this season, Pep Guardiola's side are now four points behind the Reds in the title race. Now, City were 13 points clear at this stage last season. But Henry, it looks like they've got a fight on their hands this time around. They really do. And it's great for, for the neutral. It's great for Liverpool fans all seems to be uh, coming together under Jurgen Klopp. That emotional connection he has with the fans and with the players, that's just created this momentum as well as the, the quality of the recruits with Allison in goal and, and Virgil van Dijk. He's probably the most important player in the Premier League at the moment if you look at his impact on his club within the dressing room and on the field, scoring goals now. The thing about Manchester City and Guardiola probably hasn't really been in a title race like this for a few years. So, you know, it's a challenge to him. But I think anyone who's followed his career knows he loves challenges. He's the most driven individual I've ever met in football, certainly in the top three. And he is he's a remarkable... And he will get that team going again. He needs De Bruyne to start. He needs Aguero to, to start, start, you know, turning in all those chances. And one of the key things, which I think we highlighted at the start of the season, a lot of people were highlighting, is what do they do when Fernandinho's not ready? Because he's almost the glue in that team that sort of bolts um, defence to, uh, to, to to attack. He 
they don't really have a natural replacement for him. I know Delft can play there. Gundogan, for me, is more sort of silkier player to play further forward. John Stones, obviously, has played in their last couple of games. But I still think Fernandinho is just key in there. It's a little sly fouls. It's the, the leadership, the tactical awareness, covering, nicking the ball, the starting moves. He's such a key player for them. So I think when he's back fit again, we'll see a different city. I don't think that's John Stones's position. I, I can see what Guardiola was thinking in, in playing him there instead of Delft because... You know, Palace are visiting, and you imagine that it's going to be the sort of game where where Palace are all back in their box, and Stones is almost like a third center half because your defensive line is way up the pitch. But things didn't really uh, unfold that way, did they, against Palace? No, they didn't. Look, you know, there was two sides to to every story, and Palace deserve amazing credit for their resilience, for how well. There's a point Hodgson was making afterwards. He says things don't just happen on a game. We don't see what's been going on down at Beckham at the training ground, the way he drills players, um, the coaching staff he's got there, the sports science that goes into it, the, the amount of time he spends looking at Manchester City's setup and think, well, how am I going to get at them? Let's unleash our heart more uh, centrally. Let's have uh, Andros Townsend. And, and, and pace is difficult to defend against, particularly as you point out with that, that high line. And their defence was outstanding as well. Full-backs, centre-backs, you know, they, they they were terrific. So, you know, we have to praise Palace and all this and their, you know, their band of support is probably one of the best supports in the country in terms of, you know, the noise they, they generate away from home and obviously particularly at home. So, look, full credit to, uh, to, to, to Palace. They sense the vulnerability to Manchester City and it, you have to be quite psychically strong to believe in that. But we have seen it on one or two occasions this season, you know, particularly when Leon played at, uh, at the Etihad. If you do play that, well, from what I remember, Leon just played one up front and they had pace and they got at them. So I just think it's great that it's, it's created a, a, you know, a title race. One of our regular listeners complains that we never, ever speak about them other than to talk about Zaha. So I want to give a shout out to two obvious ones. And I'd like you both to name somebody who's not Zaha and is not the two guys I'm about to name. For me, Milivojevic right now is one of the top 10 central midfielders in, in the Premier League, easy. And also, Juan Bissaka has been kind of doing it all year. We get so like, oh, look, you know, Roy looks funny on the bench and Zaha's fantastic and blah, blah, blah. And where's Benteke and, and whatever. But do you guys want to give a shout out to somebody else, a favorite Palace player, not named, uh, not named Luca? Juan Bissaka or McArthur's played well this season, hasn't he? I think he's a he's a bit of an unsung hero in that team. I think he's he's had a, a decent season. And the, the other interesting thing is that Guita is now in goal, which he was obviously signed in the summer, didn't get in. Hennessy managed to survive, keep his position. And I think there've been a lot of Palace fans calling for over time for Hennessy to be changed and. and and now that'd be interesting to see whether he stays here. Um, I think the, the other sort of thing is Van Arnold, I think he's had good games, bad games, but actually, generally, I think he's played better this season as well. I think that's the other, that's the other sort of one that's Henry? important. Gab, why do you think Roy looks weird on the bench? I, if, if, I'm, if I'm a player there and I'm looking over the bench, I see years and years of experience. I see someone who has prepared them well during the week, I see a, a coach with no ego who, when the team does well, he praises them. I see a coach who's, who's bounced back from adversity before with England, with Liverpool. And for a former England manager, doesn't actually seem to carry too much of a chip on his shoulder or has been wounded deeply by it. I'm sure he's hurt by it, but he actually gets on with life. 
you know, talking to Palace players, and I've interviewed a couple, you know, in, in recent times, and they are the, the respect they have for Roy Hodgson. We can call him an elder statesman of the game. Gab, look, you know him very well. I think he's quite uh, a quietly inspiring. To, 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 just to clarify, when I say he looks weird on the bench, I don't mean that it's weird that he's managing in the Premier League. I think he's doing a phenomenal job, but there's no questioning. It's simply that his a lot of the times, and you can just need to spend five minutes on social media to see this, he has this range of facial expressions. Um, his mannerisms. His mannerism, mm. right? And, that, and there's nothing more that TV producers like to do is to get a little five-second clip. I mean, if you ever watch Match of the Day 2 on that Too Good, Too Bad segment, mm. <laughs> he's always there, either, either in surprise or he's rubbing his face or whatever. He just has this wonderfully expressive thing and, and sort of the, the Roy Hodgson meme seems to overshadow whatever Palace does. In terms of the work he's doing with the resources he has and... Oh, should I have my gratuitous pop at Steve Parrish? Yes. And the uh, chairman he has, he's doing a phenomenal job. But he has looked fairly miserable in the last few months. I mean, you sort of see him in the flesh. And by the press conferences, he's given the impression that he's unhappy with maybe because he didn't have money to spend at Palace, but generally unhappy or maybe a bit fed up of, of the job. He's certainly not been as perky as he well, could have we, been. We spend a lot of time and, on, this, and, on, this, on this like body language thing, though, Gary. I mean, like, if when Claude Puel looks miserable or when he looks happy, uh, he, looks, oh, he looks exactly the same, right? Roy Hodgson has a much wider range of facial expressions. Right, uh, except- what's, what's wrong with that? I mean, look, look, look life is not all Hollywood, Gab. If, if there is someone who goes on to... Uh, it, it stands in the dugout and the emotion of the game, because he loves the game so much and he wants Palace to, to do so well... Uh, if his emotions are portrayed in certain ways, then, you know, you know, I know some managers who will check their hair in the mirror before they go out of the dugout. <laughs> I, I could I could name them. I mean, look, Neil, Neil Warnock is the type, whenever you go in an interview, Neil Warnock, you always get the impression he's just checked himself in the mirror. And look, Neil Warnock is doing a fantastic job, but you don't judge him like that. And that's why you shouldn't judge um uh, Roy Hodgson, just because the emotion of the game yeah. gets to him and it manifests itself in certain ways. And to be honest, if we're judging managers on gifts and means, then, well... I, I, mean, I completely, I completely have agree with you. I completely agree with you. It just seems I would that, rather yeah. look at the whole, you know, the whole stretch of Roy Hodgson's career rather than sort of five seconds dreamed up by some television producer who's just out of uh, film school. Do you know what? Let's, I we, totally agree. Yes. Let's move on or move back to the title race, shall we? Manchester City versus Liverpool is coming up on the 3rd of January. Uh, Liverpool host Arsenal the weekend before. It's a huge period then coming up for Jurgen Klopp's team. Uh, Henry, if they can come through it unscathed, the belief will surely be through the roof at Anfield. The belief is there anyway. I think just talking to some of the players and, you know, you just listen to Klopp at the start of the season. Look, they're not shouting. There's, there's a humility. It's embodied by... Virgil van Dijk, when, when Henderson came on the other day against Manchester United, Virgil van Dijk handed the armband to whichever player was going off and said it was, it might be Kate, I can't remember, and said, give it to uh, Henderson. That is the type of humility you've got in that team. You've got Virgil van Dijk, who's this magnificent player, a natural leader. Players all look to him, but Henderson is a club captain. Henderson's come on and Virgil van Dijk goes and does it. Just little... Things like that give you a glimpse into the into the soul and the substance of, of Liverpool Football Club. Klopp will absolutely drive that team. And I don't think the fans will get carried away. They will remember the Steven Gerrard slip. They'll remember how close they've gone to before. But the fact they've got a team playing this way with the exuberance, with Trent Alexander-Arnold sort of coming through, one of our own, 
Fred Alexander-Arnold will go training tomorrow morning, Christmas Day, and then he'll go to uh, the This Is Anfield Pier Hotel just on the back of uh, Anfield Road. And he'll spend a couple of hours serving up food and handing out presents that he's paid for him, himself for this charity uh, an hour for others. And that is the substance of these people. There. He doesn't want to make a big thing about it, but actually he will just go and do that because that's the, the type of individual he is. We look at the character of James Milner, the goalkeeper, Robertson, arguably in the top three best left-backs in the world at the moment. He's been outstanding, humble individual, used to sell programmes at one of his first clubs just to sort of make some money for the clubs and a few quid for himself. These are individuals who have not all had it handed to them. Mo Salah hasn't been a superstar all his career. Look at the work that he's putting. People were writing him off at the start of the season, saying, oh, one season, one that won't recover from Ramos, won't recover from the World Cup. Look at how he's going again. Look at the technical brilliance of his, his goal the other day. You could go through all that team, and they've got other players coming back too. So, look, there's a humility about Liverpool as well as the individual and collective class. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Saturday delivered spectacular entertainment and uh, we saw something similar on Sunday at Goodison Park, especially if you are a Spurs fan. Maurizio Pochettino's players ran riot, winning 6-2 at Everton to tighten their grip on a top four spot. Now, Gab, there are Tottenham fans who'll be listening uh, and who might be asking, why are Tottenham not being considered as title contenders? After all, they're only just two points off Manchester City, six off the leaders, Liverpool. Why can't they win the title? Well, um, you can throw the question at the bookies. The bookies, I think you can get them at 16 to 1 to win the Premier League. Um, You know, I I think you have to sort of project forward. And the Champions League is a major priority for Manchester City. If City advance, if Liverpool advance, if Tottenham don't, and you can, you know, you can kind of hunker down the way way Leicester did when they won the title, the way Chelsea did when they won the, the title under Antonio Conte, I think it makes a big difference because I think it really takes a ton out of you. That said, I think there is simply a gap in quality and everything has to go right. I mean, we're talking about a city team where De Bruyne has hardly featured this year. We're talking about a city team that they dropped some points now, but Sergio Aguero is coming back. We're talking about a city team that should they need to buy somebody in January, they can probably go out and get somebody really, really good with their eyes closed. Um... You know, that's at the heart of the issue. We're talking about a Liverpool team that, if push came to shove, I think would prioritize winning the Premier League over having another go at the Champions League if they ever, you know, had to make that kind of decision. So I think those are the main reasons why you can't really speak of a of a three-horse race right now because, you know, certainly Spurs simply don't have the resources that the other two teams do. Depth of squad, I think the, the cover up front for Kane, it's all, it's all the old questions and... I think most Spurs fans will turn around and say they were playing better in previous years than they are now. And a lot of Spurs fans will sort of look at that two seasons where they were playing wonderfully well. They were beaten by Leicester and beaten by Chelsea. Sometimes with Pochettino, you ask him whether there's a mentality question at Spurs and he, and he says, well, maybe they need to take the, the next step or maybe the players just don't have it. And it's a bit harsh, Henry. Is it, why, why is Gary well, being so harsh on Spurs? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think Gary is. I think he's making a general point about the, the direction of travel and the, and the developing. And I think if you look at two players in particular, Harry Kane is playing 
as a, a nine. We know he can do that, but he's also been playing as a ten. I mean, you, you've seen players develop because of their own individual drive, but also because of the outstanding coaching of, mm. of Pochettino and his assistants. Look at Kane. He's been dropping back. He's been creating space. He's been playing some fantastic balls. In. Look at Deli Alley. Deli Alley is playing almost like a, a box-to-box midfielder. We've seen him tracking back. We've seen him getting forward. You're actually seeing maybe they're not hitting the very, very heights, the spectacular heights that we've seen in the past. But I think as more rounded, accomplished players, we are seeing the flowering of two particular talents with Kane and Deli Alley, as well as all the other individuals in there. Harry Winks is taking responsibility at a young age. Christian Eriksen. I mean, and all that. Trippier had a little dip and he's sort of coming back into in, into form. They're good players in that. But the thing is, they definitely have another gear to go up individually and collectively. I agree with Gary's point about the sort of the depth of squad and, and that is an issue. And that is something that, in a way, Spurs fans are complaining about that the media keeping on linking Pochettino with Manchester United. But actually, that will probably help Pochettino going into the transfer window to say to Daniel Even, listen, we know there are lots of uh, electrical work that still needs to be done at the stadium, whatever. But we do need another, you know, a bit more. Uh, we need another striker, as Gary says, and uh, and maybe more help at the back. I think I know we're going to talk about this sort of the window soon. But that, that that is, it is interesting to see once we go beyond January, that sort of thing about Pochettino, United, Real Madrid is going to come noisier and noisier, depending on what happens in January. And you kind of wonder how the Tottenham players are going to deal with that, and the, and the club are going to, and how he's going to deal with that general noise that's going to be in the background. Can I gig? Get a sense from you guys, just because personally, I was dealing with a guy on Twitter over this, um, who's a, he's actually a vicar, or claims to be one, there's a picture of him with, or somebody looks like a vicar anyway. And he should be busy at this time of the year. <laughs> you, <laughs> you would think so. Um, Henry, he complained that the media are doing Manchester United's dirty work for them. In other words, that they're reporting that Pochettino is a target for Manchester United, and in so doing, they're destabilizing Tottenham. And he argued that the media should have had a responsibility not to do this. Well, I tell you what, I'm sure there'll be some vicars in Bournemouth complaining about the media (laughs) trying to get Eddie out of Tottenham. Look, all all the media are doing is actually just reflecting the, um, (laughs) the fairly straightforward signals that are coming out of Manchester United, which have been coming out for the last two, three years, probably longer, ever since Ferguson had lunch with Pochettino, the Pochettino is highly admired within Old Trafford and Carrington. And I think that is clear as day. And actually, Spurs should take it as a compliment. I know it's disrupting. I can understand former players getting getting annoyed by it. Um, Pochettino could, of course, give the whole thing off now by mm. saying, I'm committed to that. I want to bed us into a new stadium. I think he's very cute. I think mm. he might use it to get more funds in the sum. But look, he's ambitious. And with a great will in the world, Manchester United, for all their problems, are a step up. Having said that, I'm not sure now is the best time to leave Tottenham Hotspur with that magnificent new stadium and a magnificent team which will be even better over the next two, three years. So Pochettino's in a wonderful position. But look, you're right, this story is going to run and run and run. And it's going to accelerate when uh, the international breaks occur and uh, we all get to sit down and talk to the England players. If you're a Man United fan, you want to know who we're going to go for in the summer. Is it right for Manchester United to tell the media that Pochettino is a target. I think that's what he was questioning. Yeah, but, but all journalists have sources and you get information and so the better journalists get better information and, and they put it out. What are they going to do with it? Sit on it? 
Well, let's talk about the, the transfer window. Gary, you mentioned we we're going to mention it. So let's let's talk about it. How big is this January going to be then for those clubs chasing uh, the top four? Tottenham, Arsenal uh, and Chelsea. Who do you think Gary needs to do business the most? Arsenal probably defenders. I think I don't think Arsenal thought they were going to be in this position, but they're probably in a sort of better position than they thought they were going to be at this time of year. And chance of the top four, which probably no one would have envisaged. So maybe just in defenders. Um, Chelsea, maybe a striker, you know. People look at them and think, Morata, Giroud. Then you look at them and think, are they going to score enough goals? Uh, Tottenham, central midfield. But then it, it's a January transfer window and wh- where do you get the players and what prices and what wages and you know, are you going to be able to kind of get those players? So I think Tottenham are interested because Henry obviously made the point that um, the whole Man United thing is Pochettino, a bit of sort of flexibility to go into Levy and try and push him in the corner. But, you know, if you're Levy, you're, you're a few things. One is it's January. So do you really want to spend overpay on players? Can you get the players? And then even if you did buy the players for him, Pochettino in three months' time could say, thanks, guys, I'm off anyway. So then you're then lumbered with players you don't really want or maybe your new manager doesn't want. So... I think when you look at this January transfer window, it could give you an indication whether Pochettino is staying or not staying. And certainly if Spurs don't sp- spend money, Pochettino will be saying stuff in the media. He's not shy about saying stuff about not spending. Well, sorry, on, on the Spurs point, I mean, two big players for them, Ericsson and Alderweireld. What's the situation there? Well, they've both got they've got slightly different conflicting situations. Uh, they've got a clause on Toby, which they can tick the box on, which gives them another year. But in exchange, he can go for around about 25 million for a period in the summer. So whether they tick the box or whether they say to him, look, let's patch up and let's give him a three-year contract. Let's forget about the arguments and let's sit down. But again, that could be dependent on Pochettino's there. Ericsson's got a year to go and Ericsson and his agent have been pretty cute and they seem to be doing what Courtois and Hazard are doing, taking it to the final year and, and, just, and then pushing the club into the corner. And then either way, they're a winner. Well, you mentioned there about Chelsea. Uh, obviously, they're struggling up front with, with Giroud and Morata. They've lost two of the last four, although they did beat Manchester City in that time. Um, they're struggling for consistency, aren't they, Gab? Um, yeah, I think in terms of in, in terms of results, I mean... What I would say is it's obviously it jumps out at you, right, that they, that the striker, they have the situation with the strikers and, and Hazard is to play up front and are they Hazard dependent. This is not what Saudi wants. Saudi wants his teams to be system dependent. Um, so obviously I think it's an issue for them. I think they are going to try to do something in January um, if Morata doesn't regain his mojo, which he obviously hasn't done yet. What I would say, though, is that both against Wolves and against Leicester, those are games that they should have won. They certainly created enough chances to win. Against Leicester, really, I thought there was maybe one and a half chances that they conceded the entire game, and they had many more chances to score, not least the one at the end with Alonso. And, and against Wolves as well, they absolutely flattened them. And then after Wolves got that equalizer, they, they fell apart. So I think by and large, they are pretty much where they want to be in terms of, in terms of development. They have issues that they, they need to address, and I think that's certainly one of them. Another one, which I was, I thought we might see sooner. He's so fixated on playing the same people all the time. I think Christensen is a better player than maybe even both centre backs, mm. and I find it extraordinary that he's not getting into the team. Henry Gary mentioned, of course, that Arsenal might want to strengthen. Bear in mind that they are now perhaps chasing a, a top four spot. They have, uh, it's only City, I should say, that have scored more goals than Arsenal this season. So they might possibly be outsiders in the race for the top four, but they have rediscovered their smile, haven't they? 
Well, they have. I think the restructuring behind the scenes, I think they move more intelligently and slightly more quickly in the transfer market. You look at some of the players they bought in, particularly Torreira, the goalkeeper Leno as well. It, 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 what I like about Emery working with some people behind the scenes is that they've targeted issues and addressed them. As Gary says, they still need centre-backs. They've had some bad injuries. They've got some ageing players. They've got some players who who do still make mistakes. Um, I think a top-class striker can get at Socrates, even though he's been quite good in recent weeks. He seems to be becoming almost de facto leader of the team. I still think they need to sort out the Aaron Ramsey situation. I still find it strange that a player of his quality is being allowed to run down his contract in the old Wenger style and allowed to leave. I still think they probably need an out-and-out winger. I know they like... Um, and we like his full-backs to sort of push up and bury in. It's almost a de facto wing on the right. But I still think they need that. But look, I, I've been so impressed with, with Emery and everything he's done. He's taken a lot of the politics out of the situation. Even at the weekend when Sean Dice was having a go at the diving, Emery dealt with the whole thing in a very sort of calm way. And you see him on the touchline and he's, he's exuding authority. He's obviously involved. The players like him. I like it when Lacazette starts up front with the Bamiyang rather than coming on. Um, I think that position also suits Ozil best as a number 10. I still think he needs to do it week in, week out. But I think, again, Emery's decisiveness, leaving him out in certain games, challenging him. I think it's brilliant for, uh, for, for Ozil, who's had a good career. Obviously, he's won a World Cup. But I still think that a lot of the jury around the world is out on Ozil. And I think if he can have a golden two years under Emery, if he really applies himself then that, you know, he will go down as you know one of the best players of the last sort of 20 years. But he needs that consistency and to do it against the leading teams. But again, that is, Emery is challenging these players, which they haven't been challenged in recent years on the Wenger. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com Goals galore across the Premier League then this weekend. Six of them at the Cardiff City Stadium. Five of them scored, though, by Manchester United. What a start then it turned out to be for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as the caretaker manager at Old Trafford. Um, Gary, is it natural that people question the players and their commitment after they produce that kind of a performance as soon as uh, Jose Mourinho is gone? I think they were probably sort of questioning it before, even before <laughs> the game, to be, to be fair. So um, I think, yeah, what it shows is that when, when you don't really want to play for a manager, I think, Cass Green has often said this: when when players get fed up playing for the manager, then they just don't just don't do it on the pitch. They don't. It becomes seventy percent running around, sort of cheating in a, in a way, in a strange way. And so Saturday, the, the shackles are off. But I don't think any Man United fan is going to look at beating Cardiff as as a kind of sort of uh, any barometer of anything. And their, their next run is they've got Huddersfield, Burnley, um, Newcastle, Reading, and then they, then Spurs. So perhaps Spurs is kind of where it's going to be. Can he use the next five games to actually put in place what he wants to put in place? And Spurs is going to be the real problem of, of where they are. Can he play in the same forward line? Can he play 
as you had Marshall in the sort of the, a sort of ten position there. I mean, does that does that work against other teams? You have Pogba on the right. I don't know, maybe it does work. But you score I, first, and you have players of I, this quality, and you're playing Cardiff. Then you can play those guys, and mm. and you'll have you'll have no issue. I I just want to go back to this because we published this in our paper, so I am promoting something that's in the paper. Mm-hmm. So the last time that United scored five goals, incredibly, was Sir Alex Ferguson's last game, that five five draw with West Brom. And when people go on about how you know when he took the job, he was advised by a friend that he needed to change at least ten players immediately. They weren't good enough. Blah blah blah. I appreciate it was the last game of the season. They'd won the title, so maybe he switched some guys in. But I'm looking at this team that drew 5-5, and you had Lindegaard. You had Johnny Evans. Phil Jones. Same Phil Jones is still there, only older and more injured. You have Alexander Butner. Who remembers him? You had Anderson, who's the size of a house. You had Michael Carrick, who was old even back then. You had Scholes and Giggs, who were even older back then. You had Tom Cleverley, who's gone on to bigger and better things elsewhere. You had Shinji Kagawa, who who can get onto the pitch at, at, at Dortmund. And... You had Chicharito, and you had old Van Persie. Can we just just knock this on the head about the quality in Manchester United squad? These are good players. And I know it's an incredibly sort of trite thing to say that if you send them out there with the handbrake off and the enthusiasm and ding-dong the witch is dead and blah, 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 they're going to produce away from home, especially when they score early and Cardiff has to, to some degree come out at them, and then you've got fast strikers. This is a good squad. These are good players. Yes, Gary? The present squad, yeah. If anything, it's got how do you fit them all in? Especially up top where, and you've now got the, the issue of Sanchez. Does Sanchez want to play for Man United or doesn't he want to play for Man United? But he's does injured, it, does, Gary. Yeah, but, but okay. <laughs> but once he's fit. Well, and, and, and given that he wants to supposedly go to PSG... But isn't this or the Solskjaer effect, isn't it? With We saw Paul Pogba starting, Luke Shaw as well, two players who had drawn uh, the ire of Mourinho on more than a few occasions. Fred came on as a substitute as well. So it, it does appear that it is a clean slate under Solskjaer right now. Yeah, and rightly so. And again, I mean, we, we, we mock Ed Woodward and the whole like business approach to it, but they just spent, what, $50 million on a midfielder named Fred who's young enough and who's going to be around and is now has a big contract and they want to know if he can play. And it's only logical that you then ask your manager, listen, we're chasing fourth place, but we also want to assess the players. And he sees them in training and says, hey, look, he's not a bad player. He doesn't become a bad player because he has some tough games settling in England and then Mourinho decides, oh, no, you know, you be gone and uh, and let's have more Ander Herrera in the team. Now, I can see why he started Herrera in this match. But I think if you're Manchester United going forward, especially if Solskjaer wants to play the way Solskjaer says he plays, I think there's only room for one out of Herrera and Matic in that midfield. And then you're going to want you know, the two other guys, assuming you play 4-3-3, to be people who can, who can play, right? Who can, I mean, not who can play at the attacking end of the pitch. Presumably one of them Pogba, the other one, maybe we'll see Fred, maybe we'll see Lingard. These are your options, right? Am, am I wrong mm. here, Gary? No, I think I think you're right. I think I was just looking at the sort of the headline on our back page about uh, Matchett saying Blaine Muss for Mourinho's exit, which is also it's quite remarkable when players. If you read the quotes, it's a little softer than that. It's not Matchett saying no, it's all our fault, you know. But yeah, but it's always after the effect they come out and say, yeah. oh, it's all our fault. Yeah. At the time, they don't say yeah, it because no sane person <laughs> believes that <laughs> no. it's it's all the players. No, but, but, is, is there anybody? 
Yeah, but if I don't it, even think Mourinho believes yeah, that, but, do Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but when, when Mourinho went from Chelsea, there was a bit of feeling amongst the Chelsea fans that actually it was the players who got him out, wasn't it? Because so t- everybody, you know, know, know. Exactly. Oh. we in the media, we repeat the same. Once we get a phrase in our head, we repeat it forever, right? So with Solskjaer, it's the handbrake is off. No. And with Mourinho, it's like, well, they downed tools. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? They downed tools. What, what is it? Are we working in a but, factory? They downed think- tools? Well, but, but, yes. But, 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 but if it, <laughs> it's so stupid, but it becomes a cliche, and they repeat okay. it, and 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 the ex pros on television keep repeating the phrase as well, and it's a stupid trite <laughs> phrase. Come up with a different expression. Sorry, Gary. Okay, but if it's true, and you 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 would have seen more Chelsea of me than that time, and if that's true, and Fabregas was pretty sharpish to come out at that point and say, no, no, we you know we loved Marino and I love Marino, which is kind of you know almost players come out often and trying to kind of clean themselves up from the image because at that point the Chelsea fans weren't happy with the idea Mourinho with the players that turned on him but why if you're a Man United player why would you come out and say blame us you don't need to you can say look it wasn't right for us It is time now for the results of our weekly predictions game where we pick five matches from the weekend and try and predict the score. Now, we went for the game at St. James's Park where I went for a 1-0 win to Newcastle. Gab, you went for a 1-0 win for Fulham. Neither of us predicted a goalless draw. Yeah, I felt a little bit let down by my man Claudio there. I thought that that they could have nicked this. Um, Now, we both expected Manchester United to win at Cardiff, Mm -hmm. although neither of us saw them pummeling the Bluebirds to the extent that they did. We also both went for Bayern to win at Eintracht Frankfurt. Neither one of us guessed the correct score on the 3-0, but I should point out... Oh, here we go. ...that I had it. It's 2-0, it's the 89th minute, and then stupid Rafinha scores another one. So, so lucky. So, so lucky. Watch the highlight. Seriously. So it finished 3 0. So but it should have been 2 0. But so it, it, it was 3 0. Uh, we both predicted a 1 0 draw between Portsmouth and Sunderland, but it was the League One leaders, Pompey, who ran out 3 1 winners, which uh, means it all boiled down to events at Goodison Park. Now, Gab, you went for an Everton win. What were you thinking? Well, uh, Everton took the lead, and then Pickford screwed everything up for everybody, <laughs> and, then, and then Ericsson scores a worldie, and then, then that's it. That was it. Game over. Yes, I went for the Tottenham win. Victory then for them, victory for me, meaning I am now 11-5 ahead this season. I'm enjoying it, Gab. It's great. Enjoy it. It's all going to change in the new year. (laughs) Enough of these stupid predictions. How about some quick hits instead? John Deitch is an angry man. He has basically accused a bunch of Arsenal players of, quote, blatant cheating and says he's the only manager who cares about (laughs) diving and he wants the rules around simulation changed. Kerry, has he gone mad? Uh, Like, does he really think he's the only manager? I think, I think they all complain about this. Uh... No, only Sean Dyche does. Yeah. But... And it's blatant cheating. Are Arsenal blatant cheats? No, all players do this now. It's, it's a curse of the modern era. You get the players wait for the contact and go down. What's really funny about this? And, and def- was... defenders do it more, don't they? Because they're just trying to get themselves out of situations. Well, he, he got angry over that Kevin Long push. Yeah. No, and he says Kevin Long went down naturally. Watch it again. Mm. How is that natural? <laughs> I, it may well have been a penalty. I, I'm not saying it wasn't. Soft. What? It, it might have been soft. soft, whatever. It's two hands on the back. But, they, but that's not a natural way to go down. But also, you know, the FA have looked at simulation, but it only applies in what applies sent off and, and a red card. And how are you going to possibly, that Eduardo situation, how are you going to define the amount of contact that it needs to get for a player? Just to let go Sean Dyche decide. So is he going to join the three-man panel? No, just have him decide on the sidelines. Have, have him call the, call the penalties. What, in every game apart from Burnley? Well, just the ones he plays in. Okay. <laughs> 
OK, let's move it on to Watford, who are back up to seventh for the 2-0 win away to West Ham. Uh, there's uh, Ben Foster, Craig Cathcart, mm. Will Hughes, Troy Deeney, Andre Gray. Gary, is it all down to their British core then? That's a good question. Um, I think Ben Foster, I saw him recently against Manchester and I thought he really impressed me and I thought he, he's definitely uh, quite a big factor. I don't really buy the British call, to be honest. And, and also really? Watford, no, I don't. And also Watford went on a very long run without actually having a win until, was it last week? So I don't, I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I buy that whole British call thing. Natalie, one for you. Yes. Last week, I asked you what Steve McLaren was up to, even though I knew... You did. What's Steve Bruce up to these days? Wow. Because I, thought, cause I yeah. thought he'd be in line to, based on Paul Ince's recommendation, to be um, the new interim coach at Manchester United. Oh, no. No, 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 no. He's, what, been out away from football for just over two and a half months, I, I would say? It's a lifetime in Steve Bruce years. Indeed. I know. That was after a sacking from Aston Villa, but he's now being tipped to take over at Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, that's after the Owls parted mm. company with... Uh, Yoslahukai on Friday. Uh, two of Bruce's former backroom staff at Villa, Steve Agnew and uh, coach Stephen Clements, they were spotted at Hillsborough for Saturday's uh, win over Preston. So that's obviously added to the speculation because they were spotted at the game. Lee Bullen, the caretaker boss of Sheffield Wednesday after the win, said that it would be doing the right thing for Sheffield Wednesday if they appoint Bruce. Let's not forget his track record as well. He's been promoted to the Premier League four times as a manager. It's been 18 years since Sheffield Wednesday. We're in the top division. I miss the Owls. And and Gary, you must like him because you're part of that same fraternity of people whose last name is a first name, right? (laughs) (laughs) This year, to save them from tears, Saints fans are giving their heart to Hassenhuttl. And of course, he won again, this time a 3-1 victory at Huddersfield. Gary, did you think his impact would be so immediate? No, I saw the first two games and when he saw them at Cardiff, I thought he's got he's got a massive job on his hand. But to be fair, they play very well against Arsenal and they're certainly running more. And you can tell he's actually got them working a lot harder in training. I think Redmond's looks a completely different player and Ings looks a completely different player. So fair play to him. Well, we have a piece here or a headline, Hasenhuttle call for speed pays off for Southampton. Obviously, he is all about speed and as i do every monday morning i wa- i go on youtube and i watch the um the rocky montage the training montage from um from rocky 2 after you know adrian wakes you, up every from monday the- you watch this montage of course, of course. <laughs> it's very therapeutic we're one where like you know adrian wakes up from her coma and she's like you know rock I- win win and then and i always think of throughout his training routine you've got you've got mickey the old trainer mm-hmm. one who looks insane all he does is he just keeps shouting, speed, speed, speed. So that, that's kind of imagine like, because Hasenhutl's the opposite of Mickey because Hasenhutl's young and Mickey's old and, and Hasenhutl's big and, and Mickey's small and Irish and angry. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of how I imagine it. Uh, we're all David Brooks fans by this point, And it's wonderful that the young Welshman uh, was integral to Bournemouth's 2-0 win. But Gary, I want to bring yeah. up something else. Something mm. that really I, I find extraordinary. Mike Dean at one point, it looks mm. like he got Lewis Dunk and Eva Bissouma muddled up. He shows Lewis Dunk a yellow card when yeah. it's obviously Bissouma who commits the foul. It wouldn't have mattered if not for the fact that Dunk later gets uh, another yellow and gets sent off. Do you see the strong physical resemblance no. between no. Bissouma <laughs> and, and Dunk? Can you explain this? No, I can't. I think it was a genuine mistake. I think when you look at it, it's just a mistake. You can see they both go into the challenge, but he's short and, of it, isn't he, Dunk? So, But there is another part of the equation. If you're the player on the yellow... You're just a bit more careful, surely. You know, going for the second... second Maybe he didn't know he was booked. I think he did. I think he did, yeah. I think he knew he was booked. But do you, did you see when he got the second yellow, as Mike Dean takes out the card, he goes, off you pop. 
Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah, he does. It's brilliant. There is a great, I have to say, there's a great Twitter account called Celebrity Refs. You have to watch it because it's brilliant. They, celebrity Refs. Quite celebrity a lot with his goal, Mike, for this goal celebration as well. There's all that. The way that Mike Dean does feature quite heavily, just to, the fact that he's very over the top with some of his gesturing. It's brilliant. It's well I'm assuming he's close up. to retirement, so like... He doesn't care anymore. He can just act like the biggest freak out there and, and be as theatrical as he likes. And Have a look at that Twitter account. You'll Off see you what know. I mean. Wonderful. Off your pop. Off your pop. That's wonderful. Off your pop. Uh, Gab, one for you. I, I note uh, you wrote about Cristiano Ronaldo today. Uh, how's he finding uh, getting goals in Serie A this season? Well, it's one of those things, right? So we, we, we deal in, in stereotypes. So the, the perception is that he was going to score less this year in Serie A because um, supposedly the league is more defensive and there's less goals, which incidentally isn't true. There was one fewer goal scored in Serie A last season than, than in La Liga. I think what does matter is he plays for a team that, that simply scores less and that doesn't run up the score. You know, Real Madrid had games where, you know, they're 3-0 up and they keep attacking and attacking and attacking. Juve, they go 1-0 up, and I'm not saying they stop attacking, but they're pretty content with managing the game. So he scored 12 goals thus far this season, um, which the lowest he's had at this stage of the season, going back like 10 years, was 17 goals. But that said, he's still super important to the side. He has a whole bunch of, uh, of assists, seven assists at this stage. Uh, he's shooting just as much as, as he was before. But I think he's just, as he's getting older, he's just kind of, evolved into a different role and, and obviously Juventus absolutely flying in Serie A is he top scorer? no top is? scorer is a Polish man named Lukas Piontek who nobody but nobody would have imagined <laughs> that he scored a whole bunch of goals at the start of the year people thought he'd tail off but he's still in there yeah he's got two more goals than he does that is it for now many thanks to our guests today Henry Winter and Gary Jacob Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times. That's right, you get The Sunday Times too. And that allows you to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just one pound a week for an eight-week trial. What do you need to do to get all this goodness? Search The Times subscription for more information. Now, Gab, you're away now, aren't you? So it's just me on Thursday. That's right. And my guests, of course. That's right. I'll be off skiing in the German-speaking bit of Italy, up in the Dolomites. Ooh, Surrounded lovely. by Hans and Wolfgang, except they're Italian. How lovely. Well, enjoy that. Thank you. But yes, we'll be back on Thursday after the Boxing Day bonanza of football. And of course, we'll be looking ahead to Liverpool versus Arsenal. And we'll be looking forward to your gifts from your holiday. What, what presents would you like me to bring back well, from a bunch of German guys? I think Natalie, well, since you spend more time with Natalie than you do with me, I think she should probably call this shot on this oh, one. Oh, goodness, I have no idea. Something authentic but delicious. Authentic, but you realize this is the German speaking part of Italy. I know, but it might, they might have something. No, they do. They do. They got it's, it's very scenic. It's all, it's all wintry and Germanic. I'll, oh. I'll try to find something suitably appropriate. How lovely. For you Some and breakfast? for Charlie Producer. No, not breakfast. <laughs> we should say a Merry Christmas to everybody. Thank you. And happy holidays to all of you. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.